Welcome to Takeaways, Life Lessons Learned. I'm your host, Hayam Mizrahi. Join me as I explore my takeaways from the people who have influenced me the most. Let's get started. Hello, fans of Takeaways. Are you ready for another NAOP Southern Nevada program recap? NAOP is the Association for the Commercial Real Estate Development Industry. The April program covered a part of that industry that doesn't get covered much. I'm talking about office and office development. That program title was Return to Office, Current and Future. Our moderator that morning was Kyle Nagy, Director of ComCap Advisors, and a NAOP past president. We had Nick Barber, Senior Vice President with JLL. Nick is one of the most active office brokers in Las Vegas today. And we, have, we had Tom Van Betten, Vice President with Matter Real Estate Group. Matter has one of, if not the most dynamic office development under construction right now in Las Vegas. That one's called Uncommons. The program was sponsored by longtime NAOP supporter Helix Electric. You know, their company owner that morning, Victor Fuchs, he gave a really incredible, incredible intro for the company. What happens is the breakfast sponsor gets a couple minutes up at front. Some show a video, some talk about uh, recent things that they've done. You know, Victor's address uh, was really special. It's brief and we have it, so I'm going to include it in a little bit so you can hear it for yourself. Now that you heard the program intro and you know who the panelists are that I introduced, I'm going to go away. I'm going to go away because now you're going to hear the actual audio from the actual NAOP April program. But remember, first, you're going to hear Victor, then applause, then the panelists. Enjoy. Thank you. It's quite an introduction. Some of you guys know that originally uh, I came from Ukraine. And uh, I was born under the control of communist Russia. You may have also noticed both countries are at war right now. When I was 14, my parents uh, fled political and re uh, religious reasons, the former Soviet Union, to reunite with their family in the United States. We knew it was out of the best chance for better life. However, we couldn't take anything with us except some Russian vodka that uh, we smuggled to sell in Europe so we can get some money. Um, we came to US with practically nothing, $800. I, I brought my family in Las Vegas 27 years ago. My dream was to build the best successful life for the family in the desert. And I have found more success than I ever dreamed of possible, but I didn't do it alone. I did it with all of you here. In the city, I found others who also wanted to build and follow their dreams. Many of you are here today. The relationships I have with you more important to me than any financial success. I love the country. The day I became a citizen, was one of the first days, uh, best days of my life. I will never take it for granted, and I'm blessed. I am 
I'm blessed and belong to the greatest nation in the world. And despite all the craziness that's happening right now in the world, we all are still free here in the United States. We may never lose our freedom. Thank you, everybody. Good morning, good morning. Can everybody hear me? You guys turn on? Yes, We yes. can hear you. Good. Well, I am super excited to be here today to talk about the industrial market with these great industrial... <laughs> whoa, 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 office, off the brakes. We sure. Get a, we office? We get our time to shine every now and again. Office? Who wants to talk about office when industrial is always going up? Does anyone remember office? Yeah. Do we still talk about office here? The red-headed stepchild. Indeed. There is an O in the acronym, correct? <laughs> it's still there. Well, let's start with the most obvious question. Are Southern Nevada companies inviting employees back into the office? Short answer, yes. Um, if you look at where we were at 18 months ago, 24 months ago, um, you would drive around town and you could get from one side of town to the other in five minutes. And that is obviously not the case today. Um, if you drive around a number of parking lots that are large office campuses, you're going to start to see that they're full. As the local and uh, state regulations have been lifted, it's invited the employers to bring their employees back. So yeah, we are seeing them come back, but not to pre-pandemic levels. Okay. I wouldn't mind uh, just asking this crowd right now if maybe you could raise your hands if you're back in the office. I mean, I think that kind of shows you that, uh, is anybody never going back? And, and who had the option to, to do this via Zoom? You guys chose to come here and interact with everybody and collaborate and talk and kind of spread goodwill. So I think this is a perfect example of what an office environment is supposed to be like. And we are starting to see it come back. Absolutely. Let's, let's dig into that. Let's dig into what hybrid means for us here. We hear nationally, we hear some of the big companies aren't going back, we hear this, we hear that, but Southern Nevada, what are tenants what are businesses doing here to work hybrid or work from home? So one of the big things that we've seen through the pandemic is the advancement in teleconferencing. A few years ago, Zoom and Microsoft Teams, some of those things really weren't as advanced as they are today. So it's making it a lot more user friendly and it's making it a lot easier for us to interact with people in other regions and in other markets and for people who do want to work in the hybrid model. The hybrid model is nothing new. It's something that's been here for a while. It's just the pandemic has exposed the need for it on a greater level. And so we're all now adapting and trying to utilize it within our office space and within our workspace. But it's not like we just came up with this you know, throughout the pandemic. It exposed it and exposed the need for it. But it also exposed the need for people to get back in the office. So being fluid and having the availability to work from home a couple of days a week, maybe uh, utilize your, your gig job as that gets you know, back up and running, I think is very important for us to understand that there still is a need for the office space, but how we use it and when we use it is what's changing. Yeah, and I think there's been a shift of, a power shift from you know, employer to employee. I mean, we used to think, uh, you know, when I was uh, running around with tenants, you know, you'd always, years ago, 10 years ago, you'd think, uh, well, 
We'll tour the market, but where does the CEO live? Because that's where this deal is probably going to be you know, proximate to. And today, um, it's really where the employees live. Where can you get the best talent? So I think there's a real shift from uh, who, who's making the decision on if you're coming back to the office and, and, and where you're locating. I think if, uh, you know, if, you, if you have any open requirements to hire right now, like I do, um, I can't find anyone that won't, that, that won't accept a job without a hybrid. So it, it ends up being something that I think not employers aren't crazy about, mm -hmm. but they have to get used to because you know, the employee now you know, makes the call. The, the hybrid model is, I thought it was going to be a great cost savings for our company. We recently went through a hiring, and I said, this is great. What I'm going to do is I'm going to hire two people. And I'm going to have one work in the office Monday, Tuesday, half day, Wednesday. They're going to leave. Lysol that desk. And I'm going to bring in the other person who's going to work Wednesday afternoon, Thursday, and Friday. And I'm going to reduce my footprint. I'm going to need less space. Started going through the interview process. And I learned that's not what they consider hybrid. They want their own space when they're in the office. They don't want to share with someone else. So this great benefit of cost savings wasn't there. I needed the same amount of square footage. It's not hybrid savings, it's hybrid to attract employees. That's right. It's really not about a metric for the CFO to uh, put square foot per person or thing. It's not about that anymore. It's about the experience that your employee uh, gets to benefit from each day. And that part of that is, hey, uh, you know, it's interesting. In Southern California, we've been doing hybrid a long time because Fridays have been kind of work from home for, 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 for quite a while. But uh, As it is for everybody in this, in this uh, <laughs> yeah, that's conference It's not just well. Southern California. <laughs> um, yeah, so I mean, it's a, it's a function of where, you know, the, the, where the employee wants that freedom. And, and it's not always just to play in your pajamas and have your dog on your lap. I mean, people have, uh, you know, kids that they have to pick up from sports and, but, you know, you know if, and, and you just have to be able to take a call from the car and on the way to the airport. And it's just, you know, it's, commerce is done much more, uh, with much more mobility today. And, and, and that's just something we're all getting used to. Describe to us then, if you could, what does the flexible office look like? Is it that scenario where the person comes in and they have that basket and they go to a, a shared workspace? Does flexible mean they can come and go as they please, but I still have to keep them a desk? Does flexible mean that they need to actually have a physical separate office within their home office that they could lock the door and get work done so the dog and kid doesn't come in during a Zoom call? What does flexible mean? I think it means all, all the above. Uh, I mean, I've seen it from, you know, even CPA firms are, are you know, which are probably the most uh, um, you know, tied to their desks, especially at certain times of, of year, are, are working remotely. So it's really, right now, everyone's trying to figure that out. I mean, it's happening real time. Um, what's, what's interesting is people are, I'm seeing floor plans that people are going to move into maybe, you know, six months, 12 months, and they look a lot like the old floor plans. So it's not like, I, there, I think there's a tremendous amount of innovation in design, office design and furniture and layout. It's really just how more how you're utilizing the space. And, and, and people, you know, you, you, the nine to five isn't how people work either anymore. People can, can work late at night or they can get up early and leave at noon. I mean, so it's, it's just really more about a, a results-oriented kind of philosophy rather than, you know, kind of a, you know, regimented, you know, the way, you know, my dad used to work. And for most of the occupiers we work with, the investment they have is in the talent. 
It's not in the office space. The office space is a very small line item when it comes to their occupancy. It's really about investing in talent, attracting talent, providing a collaborative, comfortable workspace that does give them that ability to, hey, this is my workspace every day. The hoteling thing that you hear about in major you know, densely populated markets doesn't really play here in Vegas because we don't have mass transit that people use. Everybody drives, everybody wants freedom, but they also want to have a place that they can come to. And so when you're an occupier and you're out looking for office space and you're haggling over a nickel or a dime, yet you're gonna be competing with other people to go and attract the talent to come here, it's really, a, it's really a small cost when you're talking about investment in talent. And the talent, as Tom, you mentioned yesterday, which was a great point, the, the, the employee is now the client for a lot of these, for a lot of these, um, employers. these employers. And so they have to think and, and be, you know, in real time, they have to think about what's important for that talent. How am I gonna attract talent from San Francisco, um, you know, Southern California to come here and, and you know, feel the benefits of living in Las Vegas? If we're gonna give them the same thing that they have in those markets that they're leaving from, then there's really no benefit to them to come here and set up shop and work in an office here in Las Vegas. And, and to clarify, not every business, not every company wants flexible, creative employee experience. So talk about your project, Tom, and, and the focus on the employee experience and, and why it's important for your tenants to be able to go down and grab a fancy coffee or wheatgrass shot or whatever you can get at one of your $12 great cafes. Smoothie, yeah. Yeah. Um, why does that matter? And, and for me, and we could just play the game here and pretend, pretend for a second that I'm your, your tenant, a lot of my clients want to come into the office and see me. They don't want to walk through a retail corridor. They don't want to park in a garage. They want to get access to me. Maybe that's a belief that I have that's not true, but talk to me how you would you would convince me or, or talk or share the employee experience and how it's going to help me hire and retain employees. Well, I, I think the, you know, there's been an evolution. I mean, originally, you know, Uncommons, the, the ethos of Uncommons was, was originally to help companies win the war for talent. Um, this is really, you know, how are you going to hire this, this, this rising star from college uh, when your office space, you know, has, you know, six foot, you know, Dilbert cubes, um, because the sensibilities of today's employee have changed. You know, my generation is Gen X, you know, was really about, I want to make more money. Um, if you look at the priorities today, um, you know, money ends up being, you know, six or seven, what's important to Gen X and Gen Z. I mean, uh, uh, millennials and, and Gen Z. Um, you know, purpose, uh, community, connection. Uh, these are the things that's important to them today. So we, we were, originally the ethos for Uncommons was, was, was win that war for talent. What we realized through COVID was that this really, this yearning for community was really a powerful force um, to the point that, uh, we, I think, probably the first project in Vegas, and maybe the first project I've been involved with anywhere. Um, you know, we hired a director of community and belonging. How's that for a title at our project? And she's right here, Amelie Zinzer, who. Uh, and it's and it's and it's really cool because if you think about it, we're all here because we want human connection. You want to shake hands, see people's faces. The same reason why people are coming back to the office, but. 
it's, it's more than, uh, than, than just coming into your physical office. The office space is not a container for people anymore. It's really a place to connect and, 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 and post up, but also be able to, to move around. You know, I steal a term from, from Gensler. I wish I came up with it, with it but it's the free range office. And, and so it's really not, when I say hybrid office, it's not really about working from home. It's really working from anywhere. Being able to take your laptop and every 45 minutes or, or an hour, an hour and a half, you know, maybe, maybe go move around. There's science that, around that the brain does its best work when you're either standing or, you know, if you think, or, or moving or, or maybe even slightly distracted. I mean, how many people can talk about their best ideas coming, you know, when you're in the shower or you're on a hike or you're, you're on a walk with your dog or something? Not, so, so how do you expect these, these younger employees to, to innovate when they're sitting at their desk all day? It's just not how, how it's going to work in the future. So, so not only do you need to have your, your office and your house, you need to have your environment. And that might include a Starbucks or a coffee shop. But what we did at Uncommons is make that extremely convenient and walkable. And so that you can probably, we have outdoor spaces and, 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 and lobbies and coffee shops and all set up, Wi-Fi enabled, of course, to really take your laptop and move around and uh, get, some, get some sun, get some shade, get, feel the breeze. I mean, just uh, you know, feel alive at work is really what we're solving for. If, if I could just challenge you a little bit on that, maybe it's not a challenge. I'm struggling with, with the idea, one, that these millennials, like myself, Maybe not. <laughs> I think you might have just Are you missed close. It, you might be close, I closer be than close. you think. Um, <laughs> what I've learned from hiring and being around millennials is they love the community. They love going and doing yoga at lunch. They love going and doing this. And then they hear about Dan Doherty, and he's at his desk from six to six, grinding like a machine. At least he used to. I don't know if he does anymore, but grinding like a machine. <laughs> with this smile on his face, and they're out doing their wheatgrass shots. They're out shaking hands and having a great time, and they leave and come back, and there he is. They leave and they come back, and there he is. And they start wanting to build families, and they want to get out of this density, and they want homes, and they move to suburbia. Are these projects just for this stage of growth in these high demand or these highly desirable employees? Or is this a sustainable model because we're constantly growing these individuals that want this connectivity and want this community that will later morph into suburbia? Or a 12 to 12, you know, or a 6 in the morning to 6 at night working at your desk making calls? I'll chime in on that. I mean, Dan would probably be the first one to admit that maybe he's even changed a little bit. Work-life balance is very important. It's, it's apparent more so in the West Coast, call it west of the Rockies, because we have many outdoor activities that we want to utilize. Um, you know, one of my, my colleagues, Brad Peterson, who's here, I can't tell you how many times I catch Brad on a deal. We're talking about something, and he's in the car. He is grinding, working his butt off. But we're mobile. We're a much more mobile industry now. And so I think that that's important for us to realize as people who were raised in the industry of the, you know, Glen Gary, Glen Ross, right? You're in there, you're grinding, and, you know, second place is a set of, a set of steak knives. It's like that's, it's a hard um, mindset to switch, but I think we're all doing it as we start to recruit young talent. We have younger people come in. They're all hungry, and they're ready, and they want to know how you got to where you're at. 
but I also want to know what's important to them and what they're doing in their free time. Work-life balance is very important. You can get burnt out very quickly. And checking in and checking out of a boring office with the same cubes and the same taupe color scheme will make you go crazy. And um, we all got into whatever field of industry we're in because we have passion. We probably got into it um, because we wanted to make money, but the passion we have for it, money became a byproduct. Yeah. And so for us to be able to, I think, learn from the younger talent and, and change some of the ways that we're doing business, I think is important because being a grinder is important and it's good to show discipline, but I also think it's good to kind of learn from the Gen Z group. The Gen Z group, you know, they, we had a, a book that JLL actually wrote, which is called The Workplace That You Need. And in, in Gen Z, you know, the, the problem with Gen Z working from home is that most of them can't afford a home with an adequate office space. So they need a place to be able to go in, do a, do a, you know, a telecommunication conference or have a, you know, an all hands meeting um, that isn't in the basement of their parents' house. And that's just the reality, or in the, you know, in the, the kitchen of their apartment that they're paying an exorbitant amount of money for. So that, that's what we're seeing, and that's what we're trying to adapt for, um, is creating the work environment that is um, beneficial for people like us who've been in the industry for 20 and 30 years, and then for people who are coming into the industry. And I would probably be the first one to say that I was against a lot of this woo-woo collaborative open hoteling type stuff. And, whether or not it works for everybody is, is um, I think, still yet to be seen. But we are starting to see a blend of both um, in the you know, hundreds of thousands of square feet we've designed in my portfolio. There's a little bit of new and a little bit of old. And I think that's just the way it's going to be for, for here on out. I, I want to stress a point that, that Tom said. And he said this last night, and, and we kind of help articulate it together. And then we'll move on because I know you guys want to talk about some other stuff and we have a little bit of time here. His point was, we are not designing office for the client. He said it earlier. He's designing it for hiring and retention, which is completely different from the way in which I understood office, where we would build a nice conference room with a nice screen and a nice lobby and the client would come in and they'd, you know, think about the old banks with the vaulted ceilings to, to, to create like cathedrals and trust. Now it's about the employee because most of us go out to see our clients. How many clients truly come into your office and see you on a regular basis? We are going to them. And because of COVID, our, and I may get some feedback or some kickback on this, our typical client is male, stale, and pale. And during COVID, <laughs> <laughs> they won't invite me back, I know. Um, during COVID, they learned how to do Zoom. They learned how to do these things. And now they don't want to get in the car because traffic's bad, or they're afraid of maybe picking something up, and they Zoom in, and we go see them. So Tom made this great point last night that they are designing office for employees, not for clients. And I never really considered that. And I didn't want that to get overlooked as we move into something else. Yeah. Are you guys good with the office of the future, ready to dig into construction, TIs, and some of the market information? OK, great. TIs, Ooh. pretty inexpensive these days. <laughs> Landlord's going to give us a contribution. It's not going to be much. Who's coming up with the rest? How are we building out this creative space, and what does it cost? 
Um, well, at Uncommons, they have some real-time examples, you know. Um, I'd tell you that on a first-generation space, which means that this is, you know, first time it's been occupied, um, you know, the landlord, and, 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 you know, bias, but I think we're generous, but I think it still ends up being about half. So, so, so if an office TI might cost today 150 bucks all in first generation, and the landlord's given about 75. So uh, this really adds up, and it impacts a lot of the parts of the transaction, especially the length. I mean, the, to, 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 if you really want new space, you know, you can't really do a three-year deal. You're not going to cut that check and then do a short-term lease. You want to get your return on that investment. Um, and most companies aren't effectively budgeting for that. So there's always this, you know, shock and awe moment when the budget shows up. And this, forget about, you know, FF and E, you know, furniture, fixtures, and copy machines and equipment. I mean, this is really something that, that if there is anything to, 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 that I'd like people to go home with today, it's probably really spend more time on your budget, what's going to take to move your office, and, and really, when we're going to get into this, and, and start much, much earlier, because uh, there's a good chance that by the time you look around for office space, there isn't going to be any left. Yeah, especially in certain markets. Um, you know, Tom's right. From, from first generation, class A, shell space, you're about 150 bucks a foot. And Generous is right. I mean, if you can get a landlord to contribute half of that, you're doing a 10-year deal. Yeah. It's just the only way it's going to pencil. Um, we represent a lot of uh, national occupiers. And, and for the most part, they're signing 10-year deals. Yeah. Um, they have to. They realize that. But if they're going to design a space for what they foresee as the, you know, the, the next wave of talent that they're going to recruit, they want to be there for 10 years. Who wants to move every five years? For so long in our market, we've had this moving chairs where you know, you're, you're maybe you're in, a, in a, a least desirable area, or the area has kind of become a little bit dicey, and you want to move to the southwest. And so that's been a lot of our absorption and the reason why we've seen a flight to quality space. And for so long, they've been gobbling up second generation space. And TIs were low, and so they were able to get in maybe and do paint and carpet or a lighting upgrade for three to, three to five years. And now all that space is gone. And so we're now looking at projects like Uncommons and Narrative and 1700 Pavilion Center. And we're starting to see that all of those deals have, have at a minimum a seven-year deal, but, but most of them are 10-year deals. And so that, that really is the only way that these landlords can make it pencil. You asked a good question. Who, from a tenant standpoint, who has the ability to write a check for $75 a foot? You know, most of the groups that we're working with do because, again, they realize that the investment in the space is a very small cost when they are trying to attract the best talent. So the lesson, if I'm hearing you correctly, is as an owner and as a tenant, I need to think 12 months in advance, which is new for the Las Vegas model. Let's call it what it is for all of us that own businesses here. We're not thinking 12 and 18 months in advance. What's this Vegas? I could find a second generation space anywhere. I can get a building. A landlord's going to love to have me. I'm going to worry about it six months out because I'm busy. Right, you're telling me I need to think 12 months in advance. Start saving for TIs. I'd say two years. Two years. Two yeah. years in advance. Start saving for TIs and then pick a location that I'm going to love for 10 years. I know. It, it, it kind of directly contrasts the flexibility <clears throat> that people 
who knows what their company is going to be in 10 years? I mean, it, it, it's never been so, so ever-changing uh, the way people work and, and how companies grow and acquisitions and dispositions. I mean, it's hard to make a 10-year commitment, and unfortunately, that's just the disconnect in commercial real estate. However, there is solutions coming, and that was first showed up with co-working. Um, and WeWork, where you had flexible, you could sign shorter term leases and you could actually take not just one office, you could take a big chunk of WeWork space and, for, 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 and be able to do a 90-day deal or a three-year deal or whatever it might be. And now there's a whole nother force coming into, into office and that's called flexible office, not to be confused with co-working. So co-working is, 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 is more, um, you know, small, small offices and, and short term leases Flexible office is the landlord puts in the entire 150 bucks, and, except for you know the, maybe the tenant furnishes it. Sometimes the landlord furnishes, and I'll do a, a one-year deal with you. I'll do a two-year deal or a three-year deal, but you're paying five bucks a foot instead of three. All right. And so there's a cost to flexibility, and I'm telling you that most tenants have no idea to, 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 for that calculus to, to, to try to talk to the CFO of paying five instead of three. And so, so, so there's this kind of, you know, challenge of, of, of from the CFO to, to maybe the operational side of the business, which is looking at more flexibility. And um, JLL has their own flex office division. Yeah, correct, we do. So, so I mean, it's, it's coming, it's in other markets, haven't really seen it here, land here yet in Las Vegas, but uh, there is some solutions for that exact problem that, that are being, you know, innovated right now. Let's talk about the existing market. Let's move into the market part, run through time. For 10 years, very few office buildings were added to supply. For two years, COVID tenants, we blended and extended. We didn't know what were gonna happen with our companies. We didn't know if we need more or less space. Few buildings, blend and extend. Different market today. How are we as tenants and brokers and industry professionals gonna address that? How does the market address limited supply Massive rollout, rollover right now. So from the rollover standpoint, uh, we did a lot of kick the can deals during COVID. People didn't want to give up their office space, but they weren't sure how long they were going to need it. So we had a promo at one of my projects was one-year deals. We delivered a bunch of spec suites. We did a bunch of one-year deals. We leased them all up, and now all those deals are coming to expiration. Mm -hmm. Most of those tenants are having record profits in their business because they've adapted to the hybrid model, because they've been able to reach and touch more clients. And obviously with a, a two, you know, well, I don't want to say a two-year pause, but basically a year pause, and then there was all this pent-up demand, and so we've seen, we've seen these record profits, and a lot of the tenants are realizing, hey, I need this space. And so what we're doing is going back to them now and saying, okay, you know, those deals are now gone. We're going to do a three-year deal. When it comes to um, a tenant that's out looking, maybe they've outgrown their space or their space needs to be relocated for them to be able to retain talent or get closer to their employee pool, they're finding that more and more, um, literally day by day, the options are becoming limited, for, for, especially within the Southwest. I don't, I don't want to paint this picture like, the entire market is just absolutely crushing it because there are a couple of pockets that I think are, are kind of acting as a, as a trolley. But I think um, the areas that are, that are doing well are really driving the rest of the market to start to see some good absorption. And, and so it's, it's, you know, it, it's, it's really a unique time right now with demand. Demand is up. Yes. Costs are up. TIs are up. Do existing Land build, is up. Land is up. 
do existing buildings have a cost advantage attracting new tenants than the new stuff that's coming out of the ground today? No question. I think that uh, that's another thing. It, to, to forget, when you're budgeting your, your, your renewal of your lease, you probably need to budget in there a surprising increase in your rents. Because without forward supply or new office buildings, the existing office buildings, um, tenants have to renew. They have less options. Less options means you know, less leverage, which means your rents are going up. And so, so that, that's another thing that's happening around town. But, but, but I think this, the scarier thing is, is this lack of, of new office buildings planned. To, to build an office building, to start from a raw piece of dirt to actually getting butts in seats, you know, probably three years, um, realistically. And so we can kind of see what's on the horizon. And right now, I don't, uh, you may know more than me, but I don't see a whole lot on the horizon. I see Howard Hughes dripping a building about once every three to five years, um, and uh, on Commons. And, yeah. and, 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 and then, you know, a couple that are completing right now, you know, Axiom and, and Evora, you know, they're all leasing up. Right. So um, our first phase at Uncommons is fully leased. Our next phase of 180,000 feet, we've got about two-thirds of it in negotiation. And we haven't even broke ground yet. So you start to think about how many full floors of office will be available in 2026 or 27 of new office. And there's a, there's a chance it's zero. And so you start to think, well, what does that do to this town? What does it do to the existing office stock? Well, rents increase. Um, if Howard Hughes is the only one building, um, you know, then how does that impact Henderson and employers? You know, how does that, you know, as you start to think about the, the effect of, of that, and, and, and the challenge is, and I, and, you know, I always want to offer a solution, and that the solution is um, developers need pre-leasing. So this is a fairly new concept to, 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 to Las Vegas because there's always, in all the past, the developers have always got out front of the demand. Well, in office space, uh, that's challenging because um, we, and just with Uncommons, we, we went to 60 lenders, you know, and we were seeing, hey, we want to build spec office in Las Vegas. Boom, get out of my office. You know, because they just, you know, the, 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 this doesn't, this, this town doesn't have a great office story. There's not tech companies that are just gobbling up space by the time you design it, like you see in some other markets. So we found one lender out of 60 that, would, well, that didn't require pre-leasing. And that was only because my partner had a 20-year relationship with, with this debt fund, the founder of this debt fund. If they didn't have a relationship, we probably couldn't have got that. And InCommons wouldn't be here today because we wouldn't have been able to find 100,000 feet of tenants to sign a lease with a new development company you know, that there's promise to deliver 18 months from now. It's just not how companies think. But now is the time that companies need to think like that. You, so you need to talk to your advisor and keep an eye on new office projects and see how long uh, time your expiration with their delivery and get involved in the negotiation early. And I, I just see it as a slow motion train wreck coming, this lack of forward supply. It kills me to drive down the 215 and see data centers and warehouses on these great corners where there could have been you know, additional mixed use projects. Um, so, you know, I, I think, it, I guess what my, my 
my recommendation would be, as, a, as your own companies, as advisors to companies, um, get out in front of it. And, you know, it sounds like, uh, you know, I've heard Ophir maybe just bought the uh, land for the, uh, the old Opus project at the Bend, which is, a, you know, I think a 10-story Class A office. Um, he's going to need pre-leasing. Yeah. Please help him. Right. You know, get, bring your companies to him. Help, help, your help your clients and, and your companies understand that these commitments need to be made way out in front. Because if we can't get pre-leasing, and, and that, that means signing a lease before you know it's going to be delivered. There's ways to monitor the, the, monitor the risk, the delivery risk, but um, it's, a, it's a commitment you know, that, that's pushed back to your point from six months to two years. And that's new. That's a, that's, that's a new way of thinking. Yeah, it's a new this, concept this for concept our market. This town. Yeah. Tom, uh, I'm going to have to correct, correct you. The, um, the only reason you got that loan, there was two reasons why you ended up with that one lender. One, you had the relation. Two, you didn't hire me to do your financing. <laughs> if they did that, it would have a different outcome. But we can talk about that later. And that's, that's okay. Fair point. Um, we have a couple minutes left. People want to know, buying and selling. People buying, who are the buyers? Where are they coming from? Our rising interest rates, which I didn't mention when you talk about debt costs, because the, the type of financing you had was a debt fund. We're not talking bank, four, three, five percent rate. These rates were higher. So with ri rising interest rates, cost, who are the buyers, what are they buying, what's going on there in the acquisition disposition market? So on the multi-tenant, it's um, always been an ad value market. You know, how, how, how much vacancy is there, where are rents at, how quickly can I lift the stigma of this project, turn it around, and sell it? Um, that happened a lot during the post-recession, and a lot of those guys still own their properties. They, they had this five-year window of, hey, the market's going to come back, and I'm going to push my rents, and I'm going to be able to sell it. And they still own those assets. The problem now is, is that a lot of them want to get out of it, and they don't have very many options to put that money into if they sell, with the <laughs> cap rates for industrial and multifamily being what they are. Um, office is still pretty inviting. So what we're seeing on the multi-tenant side with a couple of the listings that I have is generational owners who want to buy now and they want to um, create a footprint here, similar to what Ophir has done and what uh, Brook Hollow has done, where they're, op they're essentially buying multiple properties and they're going to begin self-managing and they're going to they're essentially bring in an operator who's going to help them um, recognize the benefits of those properties and bring down some of those cost savings of, of using third-party uh, management and, and, and third-party operators. Um, on the... On the um, single-tenant um, uh, net leased investments, most of those are exchange buyers. They're selling properties out of California, and they essentially want to buy a coupon. And what that does for them, what a, what a single net property is, is essentially a large you know, call center with one tenant, and they've got term. The problem is a lot of those tenants are apprehensive to extend their term because they just haven't been able to realize their workforce coming back. That has changed a lot in the last, um, I don't know, probably call it three to four months. If you were to drive along Town Center where we have a lot of the, you know, Capital One and Bank of America and Williams-Sonoma, it was a ghost town on those parking lots. Go drive by them in the next couple of days and you're going to see parking lots full. And so it is starting to now kind of pick up some interest from those exchange buyers. Um, you know, you have groups like 3D Investments who just bought Tivoli. They're, they're hungry to add more office to their portfolio in the Las Vegas market because they're predominantly a Los Angeles uh, real estate owner. So they look at Las Vegas and they go, wow, this is great. Th these, are, these are great returns for us. Um, and there's, there's a lot of market demand. 
So they're out looking at, at multiple properties. Um, institutional money has always kind of, I don't want to say shunned Las Vegas, but we just don't typically have the type of product that attracts institutional money like the industrial or multifamily sector does. But um, there have been a few institutional buyers that have come out. Again, the biggest problem is financing even for existing office in Las Vegas is difficult. It, it's difficult. When you go talk to the lenders, they, they look at you and they go, really, office, Las Vegas? Like, give me the story. And that's when they call us or they'll call you know, a property management firm and they can actually hear what is actually going on here. It's a combination of a couple factors. Number one, the leases tend to be shorter. Our office leases here are shorter than they are in other markets because the commitment's not there. And the quality of tenant is not a corporate or large company. It tends to be mom and pop like us. And because of that factor, when they say, do we want to finance office here, or finance office in Phoenix or Salt Lake, they'd rather put their money elsewhere. That's, that's true, and, and it has been true in the past. But again, I think that that's a paradigm shift that we're going to see over the next uh, 12 to 18 months. We're going to see some significant trades in the office. Um, we've already seen a few. And what hurt us in the past is we had a lack of class A, shared lobby, nice bathroom, high rise. Interesting enough, over the last two years, lenders have moved away from that because people don't like shared bathrooms. They like the garden walk up. So lenders have switched and will consider the, the more traditional Vegas type property where they haven't in the past. And they may not be at 75% loan to value like they were prior, but they are considering it once again. And, and, I just want, and I just want to add that uh, we talk to a lot of capital partners, and all they want to talk about is multifamily and industrial. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's, so it's almost like office is pushing a rock uphill with the capital markets. Uh, and, and so, you know, uh, it's like Bill Pauls told me a long time ago, I, I like to go where the capital wants to go. And uh, it, it's a much easier path. Well, that's changing a little bit, because when you buy an industrial building at three and a half cap and a 10-year treasury, right. and you're all in rates closer to 5% today, not really great return when that's you're right. paying three and a half or four for multifamily and financing at five. Hasn't cooled off yet. Nine o'clock on the dot. I have to honor the schedule. Dan, are there are some questions yes, out there? Yes, there are, Kyle. Do you have another question you want to ask? Is there one you're leaving on the table? No? I have more, but I'd want to include Well, you. you can interject anytime you want. Um, we see Howard Hughes is doing some first floor retail. Any of these questions could be answered by any one of you. Uh, where do you see that going forward in office buildings, first floor retail? Um, well, let's define that a little further. I think that it's imperative, but, but it's not retail. It's food and beverage. Yeah. So, so, so retail could be anything, but, 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 but really, the best office buildings and the highest rents are, are coming from you know, activated office lobbies. That means you come down and you, you, whether it's a coffee shop or a restaurant, for instance, on Commons, we have a sports bar in the ground floor of, of, of you know, our second office building. And, and that allows you to kind of just really, uh, the energy it creates as you approach uh, uh, your, your, your workplace and, and the people coming and going is really what uh, people are looking for today. What is a mandatory amenity for a Class A office building today? Coffee. Mandatory what? Mandatory amenity. Like what would be considered? Yeah. A mandatory. You know, amenity? well, it's interesting. It's it, again back to the uh, the generational thing. You know, you talk to. I have a, a you know a, a teammate that's uh, 25 years old. 
won't go to Starbucks. You know, she, she's like, you know, that's corporate. You know, I, I want blue bottle coffee or, you know, one of the local roasteries or something. So, so, so I think it's not only coffee, it's got to be curated coffee. And that's an important part of that. But also uh, the other type, the other side of the day, and that is kind of a happy hour opportunity, you know, place to actually have a drink or have an appetizer and actually uh, spend some time with your friends and your, your clients um, on premise. Tom, that brings me back to when you were 25 years old at Stuart Mixer. Um, on Fridays, they would bring keg beer and sandwiches. Was that a part of the amenity package that got you there? <laughs> I did a little poll myself, by the way, of who I thought was there drinking beer out of a cup with you out of a keg. And I have like three people in the audience. I have Brad over there in the corner. I have Dan Doherty for sure, Bruce Fulmer, <laughs> and I think maybe Ed Vance, I'm not sure. But if anyone else, you can raise their hand. We, were, we were way ahead of the game then, uh, you know. But uh, yeah, free beer was a big reason that I went over to that, sw that small firm. That's true. Um, Kyle mentioned earlier about having younger people in his office literally with him and how much both sides learned. And the question is, how do you think the next generation is going to be challenged because of not sharing so much time with senior people eight hours a day in the same app office with real collaboration? Case in point for me, um, we actually hired a, a junior. She had to leave to go do a tour, so I'm, I'm teaching her well. Um, <laughs> I, I never had to learn how to train somebody, especially somebody who's 20 years younger. And it's really more about what you do with the time that you have. Her, her sitting by me or looking over my shoulder as I'm working for eight hours is going to drive her up the wall. Um, the way I do things and the way that my partner does things and the way that she sees other brokers that are in the industry do things are, are all examples that she can learn from. Um, but having her gives us a fresh perspective on maybe some things that we're not seeing that maybe we're, we need to get out of our own way on. And so I, I do think that there's, a, there's a, a really good benefit from us being able to work with the younger generation and see what's really important to them. Um, it, it's important to adapt and evolve and, and do your best to, to try to understand the, the philosophy of each person who you're working with and how it can make you a better person. Because if you're not and you're just going to be that old curmudgeon, you know, you're going to have a hard time getting anybody who's worth anything to come work with you. And I think it's, I just think of my own, uh, reflecting back on my own 20s of, of you know, beer, drinking beer. And, uh, and, but I th think about what I learned about overhearing other things in the office and, and, and the, you know, the whole coffee, you know, the uh, water cooler talk. Um, I can't only imagine the, 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 the detriment that COVID has had on some of these, you know, recent college grads that have been having to, 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 to work from Zoom. And not really be able to to hear the the holistic kind of conversations going on within the office. Um, I think that's one of the biggest reasons that the younger generation wants to get back in the office, have the flexibility, but 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 have the human connection to to for the professional development. Back to their priorities that the gen the Gen Z and and, and millennials professional development's one of the tops top ones. And if you can't provide that. Um, you know, they're, they're going to probably uh, leave. And that's another thing that uh, is a real 
uh, epidemic right now is people that, you know, we all hear about the great resignation or the, the great realization or the great reflection, whatever it is, people aren't going to, these employees, you know, on average stick around for a couple of years now. So, so you really got to create that professional development environment within your office uh, or, 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 or you're going to have a lot of turnover. It seems like talent's got a lot of leverage these days. Hey, Dan, we, yes. we had an interesting um, conversation in our office with one of our up-and-coming employees, and the conversation was around opportunity, not pay, not work, not time. It was strictly what opportunities and how quickly can I get into them. And one thing we have learned to do after we hire is we meet with the new employees 30, 60, 90 days and say, is this... Is this experience what we described? Is this truly what we were offering? Are we honoring our commitment from the day you joined us? Because I've had people come to me, in which I thought was a little, a little nuts, where they said, Kyle, you know, I'm really disappointed I didn't get more time with you. I go, who wants more time with me? Why would you want that? You got all these better people in the office. And we've had people leave because they thought that, that I would sit with them on a regular basis and go, this is a cap rate. This is how we arrive at a cap rate. This is class A, this is class B. And they wanted that little more interaction. And the employees who said that, we ended up losing. Now, it was a good thing for both parties, looking back. But it was interesting that one of the reasons they had less time with me. It's probably it's a great example of, of how the relationship of the employer and the employee has changed. I mean, it's, it, they want more, and, and they expect more. And, they better just, get it or they're leaving. I was just going to send them out to get wheatgrass shots. And we, have a, we have a cap rate question since you brought it up to Nick. What difference are you seeing between single tenant or multi-tenant cap rates? Yeah, so multi-tenant is still somewhere between seven, seven and a half. There has been a couple that have, have pushed that number uh, closer to, to seven and three quarters. Uh, single tenant, um, pre-pandemic, there was a couple of trades that were Five six, five seven. They were kind of record record setting. Um, there was a six two five, but again, term dictates everything. The longer the term, uh, or I'm sorry, the shorter the term, because of COVID and tenants not willing to extend, the, the cap rates are going to grow. They're going to go higher, and so so that's kind of been the spread we've seen. Um, you know, the the multi tenant is is right now kind of a kind of a soup du jour um, from the standpoint of most of them are stabilized, but they haven't quite realized their rent growth yet, and that's coming as a lot of these expirations are coming up and tenants are not leaving because they don't have options to go to. The typical three to 5% annual rent increase is now going seven, 10%. So it makes it a little bit more favorable from a cap rate standpoint on multi-tenant. You know, yeah. I shared this earlier, we were talking on in a different uh, venue. And somebody brought up how commercial real estate is a wonderful mitigate for inflation because you could bump rates. The problem with that is the longer-term leases, and at some point, the successful brokers in the room that represented tenants got many of you landlords to put in a flat 3% bump instead of the greater of CPI or 3%. So we're going through the financings, and we go through all these leases, and we see these flat 3% bumps on seven- and eight-year leases. And I think about the valuation and how it's going to be affected by not being able to go to a market, yeah, market it's, rent. Yeah, it's, it's, it's tough because there was so many uh, you know, post-recession deals that were done, kind of fire sale deals that they just kind of 
3%, 3%, sometimes 2%. Mm -hmm. And those guys started out at the bottom. So when their lease comes due and they get hit with this, oh, well, market rates are now, you know, 20% higher, they're looking around going like, you know, what are, what are we going to do? How are we going to be able to afford this? Um, fortunately, we haven't seen a mass exodus because of that, but um, it is a problem. It is definitely something that we as, as tenant rep and landlord brokers are constantly trying to determine um, you know, that most landlord, most uh, uh, tenant reps that were doing 10-year deals um, pre-pandemic were getting 2% increases. And, and most landlords were happy to do it because they got the term that they wanted. And if it's a credit tenant, that's a double, you know, that's a double positive for them. As those expire, if we keep trending the way that we're trending with inflation over the next few years, it's going to be a difficult decision for both parties to determine, okay, what is the true market value of the rent now? And, and just like industrial, the leverage is shifted to the, to the landlord. And so you're seeing industrial annual bumps going from three to four to four and a half. Um, so I would anticipate the same to be happening in office, at least in this town. Yeah. Based upon your expertise, do you see more office product coming for sale? Do you see with rising interest rates and, and a good alternative to industrial and, and multifamily that developers are saying, hey, I've made it. There might be a recession coming. Now is the time to sell and start putting a lot of product on market for sale. It depends on what their philosophy was when they bought it. Again, that goes back to the conversation of generational holder versus an add value holder. And so if somebody has the wherewithal to get through another rent cycle and, and possibly um, benefit from an adjustment in, in, um, in interest rates down the road, and curb inflation in the, in the future, then those guys might hold on because all of these properties are finally cash flowing. So the problem for them is, is that they're finally cash flowing and are they gonna, are they gonna basically get out of a cash flowing property and, and maybe take a little bit less because it's not as hot of a commodity and then where are they gonna roll that money into? Are they gonna run it, roll it into a multifamily development or multifamily uh, acquisition or an industrial acquisition? Exactly, I mean, it's, it's, it's a really tough spot because we're in this weird spot in Vegas where we had a ton of trades during uh, the post-recession that were incredibly cheap and those guys are now all really doing well with cash flow. It's going to be hard for them to, to let go of these assets. And our market lacks many generational wealth families. Correct. It has been a market which has been build, own, merchant. sell, merchant builders. So it will be interesting how it matures yeah. over the next 36 months. Dan. There's been a couple questions on kind of the B and C products going forward. Are they going to be... What kind of things do they need to do, or can they just kind of stay in the B and C market and, and achieve success? Well, the good thing about the B and C market is it's too expensive to build. You can't build it right now. Um, you know, um, Tanya and Ryan have a project that is a it's a Class A project, but it's 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 suitable for smaller tenants, and they've also done incredibly well. I think what we're going to see the B and C market turn into is an owner occupant market, and a lot of those buildings are going to potentially be condoed and sold. Yeah at a really high price um, and they're, you know, they're doing an incredible job with absorption in those, in those markets as well because those tenants are starting to realize that maybe making a move isn't the right time for me and so they're, they're going ahead and they're locking up their space for longer term. Um, but you know, again, it's, it's, it's difficult to build anything that replicates a, a B and C product in, in today's environment. And I would just say, you know, B and C pro projects are, are going to struggle from 
getting people back in the office. I mean, part of getting people back to the office is it's got to be something, it, your office can't suck is basically that simple because it's, there's got to be something there to draw you back, whether it's, it's it, you know, amen, basic amenities, um, you know, maybe it has uh, uh, um, proximity to amenities, but, but also it's interesting and I love the fact that we really aren't talking much about safety today but um, with COVID, but these BNC buildings, the mechanical systems are really difficult to retrofit mm -hmm. to meet. If we ever, you know, God forbid we have another, you know, kind of COVID waves, you know, the, the, these mechanical systems, everybody's sharing the same air. So, um, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, at Uncommons we shifted to, to, to really almost hospital quality uh, HVAC filtration, MERV 16. And so, um, you know, no one's really talking about that right now, but, but, but there, is, there is a safety concern. And, and what we really don't know is if people feel, you know, the, the safe going back to the office. Again, right now we're not talking about it, but that doesn't mean we won't be talking about it. We have one last minute. Do you guys have any final comments, something that we may have talked about during the prep but didn't get through today, something you want to share with the audience? Uh, I would probably just say I just think uh, that, um, you know, it used to be about, you know, density. How many people can you fit in the office and, and uh, how many square feet per person? And, and, and I think now you're really just solving for your, the experience of your employee. And that's just something people, you know, need to get their head around because, you know, the, the, the research is there. Yeah, the thing that I would add is just that we're, we're, we're seeing a change quick and we're trying to adjust to it on the office side of things. Um, we're trying to be on the landlord side. We're trying to be cognizant of long-term relationships that we've had with people and not come across abrasive when we're reducing our concessions. That's tough because you want to be known as a deal maker and you want to be known as somebody who you can bring your tenants to and they're going to treat them right. But the market dictates what the concessions are, not, not, uh, you know, not just pulling it out of the hat. So, so that's something that I would probably take away is, you know, it's more probably of a broker philosophical thing is we're just trying, we're all just trying to figure it out and, um, and every single day there's a new benchmark that's been hit or there's a new concession that's been reduced. And um, we, just, we, just need to, we just need to talk and be interactive and collaborate with one another so that we can pass that information along to our developers and to our landlords and to our tenants and to our vendors because we're all dealing with the cost of everything going up. That would be my takeaway from everything. I have to ask the crowd and you could just nod your head. It's not industrial, totally get that, office. Good panel, enjoyed the conversation, good information. Thank you guys. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Takeaways podcast is about sharing and paying it forward. If you like this show, please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast and leave us a review. It really goes a long way. And if you really like the show, please share takeaways with a friend. Thank you and tune in next time.